We're not paying lip service to a religious tradition this morning. Uh, there have been so many in this room have been, who have been uh, pulled out of the pit of despair of their own sin. Uh, it's really just a room of people who know how wretched they were before Christ. And so we sing, we sing loud and we raise our hands and we pour ourselves out before our King. Uh, he really is the King of our lives. And so um, if, you're, if you're visiting, we welcome you. You are welcome in this place. You should know that um, at this church we don't uh, employ a professional pastor. Um, and so I want to say before I get started this morning, you get what you pay for. Um, re- really, uh, really, I say that in joking, but um, in all earnesty, and my wife can attest to this, um, I don't have a word to say to you this morning. Um, you know, w- w- with this being Easter Sunday and us kind of rotating through uh, internal people and guest speakers who come and share God's word on a Sunday morning, um, there's a good chance um, that the person preaching on Easter Sunday has never preached on Easter Sunday before. And you're looking at that guy who's never preached on Easter Sunday before. And so you, your, your flesh wells up inside of you. Your pride wells up inside of you. And you figure out, you, you think in your head that you've, you've got to develop this big oration. Right, that you've got to create swells and crescendos of the beautiful story that is the cross and the resurrection, uh, and then you realize you're just garbage at writing. <laughs> and so I would sit down over the last few weeks, and I would, I, every time that I would sit down with the intention to work on a sermon and to write a sermon, the Lord was silent. The Lord was just silent. I said, Lord, Lord, why have you forsaken me? <laughs> and so I, I, I literally would sometimes just sit there for hours and typing stuff and deleting it and, and trying to write stuff and then scratching it out. And there were three nights in a row where um, I would give up and I would go to bed, lay my head down on a pillow, um, and then the Spirit just speaks. And I grab my phone, and my wife's trying to sleep, and it's like click, 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 click. And she woke up the next morning, she was like, what was that? I was like, that was the Holy Spirit. And so I don't have a word for you this morning. The Holy Spirit has a word this morning. I want you to know that this morning has been prayed over and fasted over. Not by me alone, but by a number of people in this church. Many of you have prayed and gone to battle uh, for souls this morning. And so in the name of Jesus, we bind salvations this morning in this room. There are people in this room who have yet to surrender their hearts and their lives to Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. There are people in this room who think that, that they're too old that that decision has passed them by and that they would look foolish if now they stood up and confessed their sin and confessed that they were wrong and repented and came running to the feet of Jesus. So in the name of Jesus, we claim salvation this morning. You will have a chance to respond to God's gospel call this morning. So today, if you hear His voice, don't harden your heart. Come to the Lord. Some of you have gone to battle against the unwelcome spirits of anxiety and depression and self-loathing that plague our culture. So in the name of Jesus, we bind up the spirit of fear and condemnation. There is no condemnation in this place this morning. Some of you have fasted that your hunger for the Lord would grow all the more. In Jesus' name, we declare exponential increase through the power of the name of Jesus. Do you receive it? Some of you have fasted that any desire outside of Him would fall away. So in the name of Jesus, we bind up and remove the spirit of idolatry. The Lord just pierced my heart when we sang that refrain, You have no rival. 
And God said, there are rivals. There are rivals in your heart that well up. You've got to remove and rid yourself of those rivals so we bind up the spirit of idolatry. And many of you in this church have fasted this uh, this Easter week uh, so that this Sunday would be a launching point for our church on kingdom mission. So in the name of Jesus, we declare a shift in the atmosphere right now. Fix our eyes on you, O God. Grip our hearts with your grace. Have your way among us. Let the glory of the divine presence fill the room. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, Amen. Today is Easter Sunday. Today is Resurrection Sunday. And resurrection will certainly be our focus this morning. But for those of us in the room who belong to Fireworks Church, um, I believe the Lord wants to speak a bit of vision and direction over our body this morning. Um, today, in this church, God is shifting things into alignment with His Word. Last night, He gave me a word, and then He gave me a vision. The word He gave me was the word domino. And I was praying for this service, and I was praying for you, and I was praying for a word, and the Lord gave me the word domino. What do you do with the word Domino. When you get the word domino from the Lord, you press in. Well, well, you you do one of two things. You either cast it aside and say, that's silly, that was of me. Or you say, was that really of you, Lord? Uh, And then he gave me a vision of dominoes lined up, being ready to uh, fall in a beautiful cascade. Except in this vision, there was a domino that was out of alignment. If that domino remained where it was, when that first domino was tipped over, it'd mess up the whole thing. All the work that went into setting up all of those dominoes in such a tedious fashion wouldn't work. And so based on what I believe God's word is for this morning, what I think uh, the domino that I think he wants to shift back into place this morning is, listen to this, how we as believers fundamentally think of ourselves. We think far too poorly of ourselves. Let me tell you what Jesus is doing this morning. In worship, we fixed our eyes on Jesus. We praised Him with everything we had. And in His grace and mercy, He is shifting the attention back to us this morning. He is concerned with the outworking of his resurrection. And so I want to read um, what the Lord began to flow about this church uh, after that vision. Today, God will use the beautiful reality created, created by his resurrection to elevate our thoughts to his level concerning his love for us and his kingdom purposes for us. And this shift in thinking is intended to spring us forward into a season of outreach, service, and evangelism. God has generously poured out his spirit on this body, both individually and corporately. So now is the time we act on our mandate to represent God to the people of Bernie and manifest His glory to those He died to save. We are being invited into a season of making room. As we pour out on our community from the overflow of God's presence, we make room for God to fill us even more. We will make room in our church, we will make room in our hearts, and we will make room in our homes For those who have been brought into the fold of God through our collective lives of obedience. We will make room in our budgets to invest more and more for the kingdom. We will make room for the divine glory of his presence to rest. We will not make room, listen church, we will not make room for comfort, complacency, consumerism, 
or comparison. Spectators will shift to specialists. Focus will shift from inward to outward. Listen to this. Appreciation of the gospel will shift to abandon for the gospel. Ecclesia, rise up. Called out ones, rise up. Awake, arise, and Christ will shine on you. Do you receive that this morning, Fireworks Church? Amen. Amen. This morning we're looking at the, at the invitation of the resurrection. The invitation of the resurrection. The resurrection was not just a singular one-time event that opened the door to eternal life for you and for me. It certainly did that, but it did so much more than that. The resurrection is an invitation for us to walk in new life according to that new created order that Raleen spoke about. It, allows, it invites us to walk in a life with a restored identity as an image bearer of God. It is an invitation to a life hidden with Christ, with all the benefits that come from God having taken up residence inside of you. That blows my mind. It is an invitation to live a life free from the fear of death. Being born again to a living hope. It is an invitation to walk, speak, and act in the authority and power we have through Christ and by His Spirit. And finally, it is an invitation to glory. Huh? Increasing glory as we are conformed to the image of Christ. Resurrection is an invitation to glory power, and hope. Glory is our source of the power that we live in and act in as we look forward to the hope we have in Jesus Christ. But first, but first, let's start at the beginning. We've got plenty of time. Genesis 1. I'm not kidding. The Father and the Son were up to something. They were doing a new thing. They were creating. Imagine the infinite creativity found in the members of the Godhead, the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Whatever they were working on was sure to be glorious. And so God spoke light into existence, and he looked at his work, and he saw that it was good. Sky and earth and light and land came into being and assembled into their place with just a few breaths of the Word, who was Jesus. And then, in an increasingly beautiful way, the artist's brush would paint plants and trees and fruit and day and night and seasons and birds and beasts and creepy crawly things. And God would look back on all of it and he, he would see that it is good. But all of this glorious creation was being designed for something specific. Or should I say someone special. You see, they were creating a dwelling place. They were creating a kingdom the infinite, whole, and perfect love that existed in the members of the Godhead came together to create the, the crowning glory of all creation. In Genesis 1.26, it says, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. God had created perfect image bearers who would radiate and manifest the glory of God to the world. They would manifest His glory not out of striving, but simply because of who they were and whose presence they were continually in. 
And so he glorified these image bearers. He gave them rule and authority and dominion. He gave them a mission and the capacity to fill the earth, to multiply and subdue the earth. And as those glorified image bearers would live out that mandate to radiate God's glory to the world, as there were more and more image bearers manifesting and reflecting His glory, God would receive even more glory. That was God's plan. God's plan was to bask in the reflected glory of perfect image bearers. And so now God looked at the entirety of creation with man ruling over it, and now it was very good. One great way to think of the depth of God's love for us is the love that exists between a couple at the prospect of bringing a child in to this world. Many of us have been there. Two become one in the covenant of marriage, and you're completely uh, intertwined with one another. You love and care for the other and serve the other. You honor and defer to the other, and you decide to uh, couple your love together and create an offspring that's created in both of your likeness. And before the child is born, before you even know the child, you love the child. <laughs> you will change everything about your lifestyle for the health of the baby growing inside of you. Am I right, girls? You will modify your routines and deprive yourself of sleep for a season and money for eternity. <laughs> for the sake, amen, for the sake of your beloved. But let's go back to the garden, because Adam and Eve, being far too easily pleased, chose what was a delight to the eyes. And they ate of the tree of which they were forbidden to eat. And God's perfect image bearers were perfect. No more. The image they were created in, which perfectly reflected the glory of God to the world, was marred by sin. Instead of being solely focused on God's glory, they focused on their own pride, ashamed at their own nakedness. So what I believe is a more accurate picture of this love is when someone adopts a child. When you adopt, you bring the outsider in. Having done nothing directly to deserve your love, you're willing to step in, not just to the unknown of parenthood, but to the known. You're willing to step into the known hardships, struggles, addictions, death, and the myriad of other reasons why this child needs a home in the first place. And you know that those children will bring with them challenges that will prove difficult. And so it is with adoption, it is with God and Adam and us. You see... Um, God knew. God knew. God was willing to step into the known path of disobedience that we would choose. The entire reason he created the universe was you. To dwell with you, to be with you, to walk with you in the cool of the day, to eat fruit with you, to watch birds with you. God's design, again, was to bask in the reflected glory of perfect image bearers. And we rejected God's design. His fallen and broken image bearers no longer displayed or manifested the image of God as they should. So it would take a perfect image bearer, not a copy, but a source original. Fully God, fully man who could ma visibly manifest the attributes, power, splendor, and majesty of God the Father. This perfect image bearer would be born among men. He would be tempted as we are, yet without sin. He would lay down his life to bring us back into relationship with the Father. This perfect image bearer was, of course, say with me, church, Jesus. 
Jesus Christ's death on the cross paid the debt we owed because of our sin. Romans 6.23, Dave. Nope, go back a slide. You're, you're messing up my point. <laughs> Romans 6, I love you. Romans 6.23, look at the first part of this verse. But the wages of sin is death. That's Christ hanging on a cross. Pierced for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. But look at that comma. That's a hope-filled comma. Hit it, Dave. Hit it, Dave. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Those broken... Now listen, this, this, may be, this may apply to you directly this morning. Those broken image bearers who would humble themselves, repent of their sins, and believe and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord can be born again into Jesus Christ. The eternal life promised in this verse is where? In Christ Jesus, as He becomes our Savior and Lord. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Romans 8.1 there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are what church in Christ Jesus. Salvation, redemption, uh, being purchased back from sin is found only in Christ. Reconciliation, being restored to relationship with the Father, that is found only in Christ. But you see, most of us in this room understand those truths. We've been taught this every Sunday, every Easter Sunday of our entire lives, and most Sundays in between. But the lure, the draw, the enticement of this present world is strong. See, the enemy is smart. And remember, back in Genesis 1, he used what is pleasing to the eye to lure us away from the riches found in the life of a believer. You see, it's useful, it's useful to our earthly pursuits if we reduce the new creation and the new reality that the gospel brings to an internalized and often privatized set of beliefs that get us to heaven when we die, but allow us to go about living the life we want on this earth in the here and now. It's convenient. Some of us have made conveniency out of the gospel. It makes a mockery of the cross. The resurrection invites us to shift our paradigm of thought. The resurrection invites us to shift into a higher gear. It invites us to take a crucial step. Now that we have been established in Christ, we can take, a, we, we can take that next step and begin to fathom the equally unbelievable truth that Christ is in you. And that changes everything. Resurrection changes everything. Colossians 1:27. To them, he's speaking of the saints, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is in Christ in you, the hope of glory. Amen. You see, we are positionally in Christ. But Christ is substantively in us. Not theoretically, not theologically, not abstractly, but concretely and absolutely. You, let me take a step. You in Christ is the hope of salvation. But Christ in you is the hope of glory. Amen. Now, what form does Christ take if he is bodily resurrected and seated at the right hand of the Father? 1 Corinthians 6, 19-20 Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. 
The first invitation that the resurrection makes this morning is an invitation into glory. This is a, can, be a, can be an uncomfortable topic, right? It's, it's sometimes it's hard for us to understand and fathom that God has designed us for glory. We're taught our whole lives to only focus on His glory, only radiate and manifest His glory. It's for His glory and His glory alone. And God wants to take us deeper into, into an understanding of His love for us. John 17, 22-23. The context of this is Jesus' high priestly prayer. He's pouring out His heart to His Father before He goes to His inevitable death on the cross. This is where Jesus' true intercessor heart comes out as He prays for Himself and for His disciples and uh, in verse 22 and 23, he's now praying for us. Listen to what Jesus says to the Father, what he requests of the Father for us. The glory that you have given me, I have given them. That blows my mind. That they may be one even as we are one. Father, the glory that you have given me, I'm going to give them so it enables them to be one just like the members of the Trinity are one. Has the church through the, through the millennia screwed this up? Yes. There has been no unity in the church. There has been disunity in the church. Many of you here have experienced that and it's been painful and it's been a journey that you've had to travel Verse 23, I in them. There it is again. That's that Christ in you. But it's not only that. I in them and you in me, Father. So the Father is in Jesus and Jesus is in us and He is giving us His glory. It's a beautiful truth. It's a beautiful reality. Why does He do it? so that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me, and listen, listen, and loved them even as, even as, even as you love me. Let that sink in. As the Father loved His only begotten Son, He loves us. He loves you that deeply. And He doesn't just want to forgive your sins and let you put your salvation in your back pocket. He wants to walk with you. He wants to fill you with power and authority. He wants you to live a life of victory in the here and now as you look forward to the hope that you have in Him. In the Old Testament, when Moses was in the presence of the Lord on Mount Sinai and encountered the glory, his face shone and he had to cover it with a veil until the light faded. In the Old Covenant, God's presence filled the tabernacle. When the Ark of the Covenant resided in the tabernacle, the glory of the presence of the Lord would sit atop of it. And when the, when the Ark of the Covenant was stolen, Eli's daughter-in-law exclaimed, The glory of the Lord has departed, for the Ark has been captured. We see it in the New Testament, John 1, 14. And the Word, that's Jesus, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. That verse literally says, Jesus became flesh and tabernacled among us. He pitched his tent among us. He made his home among us. He made his dwelling place among us. And with his presence among us, what do we see? His glory. All of these examples show us that God's glory is continually linked to the manifestation of the presence of God. God, through Christ, in the person of the Holy Spirit, is in you, if you are in Jesus. This is the key. 
with Christ in us, with Holy Spirit in us, we have the presence, the glory of God indwelling our mortal bodies. And this presence restores our image-bearing ability. This allows us to represent God once again to the people as a kingdom of priests as we manifest and radiate His glory through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, is alive inside of you, church. And through intimacy, through filling our lamps with the oil that Emma Bissonette taught about many months ago, through spending more time in communion with the indwelling presence of God inside of you, the more glorious we become, the brighter our light shines, the higher our hill is that our city is set upon, the more opportunity have for the more opportunity we have for others to see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven. You see, Jesus has made it all about us, and we get to make it all about him. So that glory that resurrection invites us into is the source of our power. When we realize that we are glory-filled believers, we realize the source and the quality of the authority and power that lies within us. We begin to come around to the idea that, that Jesus might have known what he was talking about when he said, you will do greater things than I. Yeah. It's hard to fathom. And, and if, we, if we just claim our, uh, that we're positionally in Christ and we don't understand the depth of Christ being in us, then we're missing the point. We are restored image bearers being conformed to the image of the Son. Glory in the Hebrew is the word kavod. Uh, Bernie, that's, Bernie, that's Strong's 33519. Glory. <laughs> <laughs> glory in the Hebrew is the word kavod. In Psalm 24, 8, this one isn't up there, Dave. We read, who is this king of glory? Who is this king of kavod? Yahweh is strong and mighty. Yahweh is mighty in battle. Kavod literally means battle armaments. Its root word ka means heavy. So there is a, there is a substantive weight to glory. There is power and authority associated with the king of glory. The king who is armed, who is shielded, and who is confident in his might in battle. That is the power we possess, church. It is not our own. It flows from the one who has been given all rule and authority. The one who is seated over principalities and powers and dominion. It is Christ in you. And for that power to manifest through us, right? all we get to do is wield it. We don't, we don't craft the sword, we just wield it. right? It's, it's not our own power, we just direct the power. And for us to do that, we have to be in communion with the source of power. But here's the deal, he's not far off. He's inside of you. At any point, no matter how far off you feel, no matter how badly you think you've screwed it up, he's right there inside of you. There's not this long prodigal coming back. He's inside of you at a moment's notice. Live in that reality. If we truly want to wield the power in these last days as one who is declaring the second coming of the Lord, if we truly want to be a powerful people who manifest and radiate His glory and prepare the way of the Lord and make His path straight, we must align our lives with the cry of John the Baptist. He must increase and I must decrease. That is my prayer for this church. That is what I want you to hear, believer. He must increase. I must decrease. And the power that lives inside of us, because of the divine presence of glory, exists not for ourselves, but for those God is calling to himself to bring hope 
to the hopeless. Acts 1.8 But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. He has given us authority. He has given us power because He has given us a mission. And it is to save souls from the pit of hell, from the lake of fire and sulfur that is the second death. Resurrection invites us to invite others into the living hope now as we await our future hope. 1 Peter 1, this isn't, this isn't in their day, 1 Peter 1 declares that we have been born again to a living hope. Amen? Our hope is not based solely in Christ's death on the cross, but precisely in the life found in His resurrection. We have a living hope because we have been freed from the fear of inevitable death that awaits our mortal bodies. Let's look at Hebrews 2, 14-15. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, listen church, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. You see, with no hope beyond sin and death and the grave, we're slaves to this world. If we don't possess the certainty of hope that includes life beyond this life, then we have to put all of our eggs in this basket to make a horrible Easter dad pun. Oh, so that was a late, so there were some late chuckles. I like it. You see... If this is all we have, then we have to produce, uh, we have to pursue the lusts of the eye and the lusts of the flesh and the pride of life. If the world is our oyster and there's no pearl of great price, then we must devote ourselves to enjoying the oyster. But we have been free, freed from the fear of death. Hallelujah. hallelujah? Hallelujah. That was a cheap hallelujah because that is not the fear that God is trying to deal with this morning. Most of us in this room don't fear death itself. We know our security is, is found in Jesus Christ and our salvation. What we fear, most of us in this church, is not dying. It's losing this life. That's the rub. That's the rub in the room. We voluntarily place so much value in the things of this world that what holds us back as if we were slaves is protecting our life rather than laying it down. Whoever seeks to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it, says the Lord. You see, it's not simply the fear that the fear of death is removed, but because of the greater beauty of what awaits us, you can lay your life down now here in the expectation of what is to come. Your hope, believer, is not some disembodied experience of floating around on a cloud with a harp. That's heresy. Your hope is found in Revelation 21, 1 through 8. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Just listen. Just listen, church, to the hope that awaits. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore. 
For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. What a promise. But, verse 8. And if you are not positionally in Christ, and Christ is not substantively in you, this is you. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, As for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. The hope is available. The hope is is at hand. The hope is yours this morning. I weep for two reasons. I weep because of who I was. Because I was the liar. I was the idolater. I was the sexually immoral. And Jesus saved me. He plucked me out of the pit. And I weep for anybody in this room who has had their heart hardened to reject the truth of Jesus Christ up until this point. I pray that God would remove the scales from your eyes. I pray that he would turn your heart of stone into a heart of flesh. And we're going to pray in a moment, and you're going to have the opportunity to respond. You're going to have the opportunity to receive Jesus Christ in your heart, to invite him inside of you. And I, and I want you to begin praying about that. If that's you and God is moving and Holy Spirit is convicting you of your sin and wooing you to himself, then uh, you just deal with him right now. Pray to him right now. But I want to make another invitation. You see, we, in baptism, we identify with Jesus' entire passion. We're buried with him in the likeness of his death. Right? We identify with Christ who died for our sins. We say, Jesus, you died for me, I died to myself. And in baptism, uh, we don't hold you under. Right? That's how you know God has a purpose and a plan for your life. If he didn't, in baptism, we just hold you under until the bubble stopped. <laughs> but he's got a purpose and a plan. So when, when you're brought back up in the waters of baptism... You are what? Raised to walk in newness of life. And that as a church is what we are after. Right? Like if we just think, if we just think in our heart of hearts that we're a bunch of little broken image bearers who really don't have a say, but we've got heaven secured and it's in our back pocket, then we'll gather every Sunday and we'll sing. And sometimes Brent will do good and sometimes Brent will do bad and Sometimes, sometimes bread will do good, and sometimes, most of the times bread will do bad, right? Um, and we can do that until uh, kingdom come, until the cows come home. But this is the shift that I believe God has for Fireworks Church. Like, right, y'all know the definition of insanity, right? Doing the same thing over and over, expecting different results, right? The church has been doing that for millennia. And it's not working. It's not working because we're not living like who we are. Ben Habak had a great message, right? He, if you weren't here last week, he said, look, traditionally we understand life is that you do so that you have so that you can be. Right? Does that make sense? We, we do all these things in this life so we can have all the things that we want so we can be who we think we need to be. And he so wisely said, no, the message of Christianity is that we be. And because we have, that is the reason we do. 
Did I get it, did I get it all right, Ben? Yes, thank you. This morning, it's about understanding who you are as a believer. Not, not theoretically, not abstractly. That's the worst thing you can do this morning is just take in these truths and say, yes, I agree with those. God is not calling you to agree with His Word this morning. He's asking you to ingest it, digest it, and let it become a part of who you are and let that bubble up from the inside out. And if this section does that, and this section does that, and especially this section, if this section does that, then we can be one as He is one. And I just know that we're all ready for something different. I know that we actually believe there is authority and power in Jesus Christ and that there is hope not just for eternity, but there is hope for the here and now. And I'm so blessed to be a part of a church that's, frankly, uh, increasingly unique. And, uh, frankly, increasingly rare. And I want you to know that that makes it all the more special. But it also, C.S. Lewis called it the weight of glory, right? There's a weight and responsibility and a heaviness to having the glory of the divine presence take up residence inside you. What you do with that gift, you will be held accountable for. He's given you the glory, but he's given you the power and authority to live out the life of mission that he's called you to live. And he secured your hope, right? Salvation, your, your inheritance is being kept for you, undefiled and imperishable in heaven. It'll be revealed in the last day. Don't worry about your salvation. If you've confessed your sins and called on Christ for your hope, you're saved. Move past the cross. Live in the power and the reality of the resurrection. And don't stop there, right? Move into Acts 2. Move into the reality that He's breathed His Holy Spirit on us. That we are temples of the Holy Spirit, right? And don't stop at Pentecost. Go up and sit down with Him. Sit in the authority and power that Jesus Christ has and work and live and speak and move and have your being out of that power. Is that what God is calling us to, Fireworks Church? Amen. Let's pray, and we'll conclude. Just, I was praying last night, and I really do believe that there's somebody in here who um, just thinks that they'll look silly if they give their life to Christ, or if they... If they surrender to God's call to, uh, to be baptized. And if that's you, I just want you to hear that God is calling you to himself this morning. If you're in this room and you've never said enough, I can't do it. I've tried. It's not working. If there's a hole inside of you where hope should be, where glory should be, where power should be, Jesus Christ wants to fill that hole this morning. So everybody bow your heads and close your eyes. If, if, if God's calling you into his family this morning, if he is calling you into the family of God, you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, would you just raise your hand? And say, this morning I want to give my life to Christ. Don't let this moment pass you by. This moment may define your eternity. in this room and you've never been baptized and you want to join with this body and say I'm dying to myself I want to, I want to be 
raised into the reality of new life. Raise your hand. We want to we walk with you in that. We want to talk you through what it means to be baptized and we'll find a time in a place for you to be baptized. And lastly, if you're in this room and you're in Christ, but you haven't fully realized that Christ is in you, if you haven't been living out of the reality that Christ, through the Holy Spirit, resides in you, if you haven't been living out of that power and authority and that reality, Just surrender your heart to Jesus in this moment. Confess that shallow view of the resurrection and its implications to him this morning. Ask for God to reveal to you his glory this week. He'll do it. Hmm. Ask God to take up residence and manifest himself through your life. Ask God to imbue you with power and authority so that you can't deny it and so that you begin to walk in it. And if your hope has been caught up in heaven alone and you've been missing out on the kingdom work that God has called you to, you confess that to the Lord today. Would you ask for a fresh reality that you've been born again to a living hope, that you are a new creation, the old is gone and the new has come. God, we thank you for those who you have called and chosen and saved this morning. We thank you for resurrecting hope this morning. We thank you for resurrecting Lives that had grown stale and cold and dusty. Lord, would you shake off the dust? Would you spring us forward into a season where we leave these four walls and go out to a broken and hurting world, radiating and manifesting the glory of God through the power and authority that resides in us through the person of your Holy Spirit, would we be ministers of hope in this world? Would we be ministers of hope in this city? Would we be ministers of hope in our homes? And would we serve you faithfully until you meet us in our final hope, in the new heaven and the new earth, where you will be our God and we will be your people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.